Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I want to thank you for listening. Please look around the site. We have over 3,400 audios featuring great preachers, persecution stories from North Korea and other lands, Bible studies. And my books are on Amazon.com, and you can contact me at bob.j.falconer.com. Dot 72 at gmail.com. Please also check out my new website that allows you to tune in to the new Hackberry Radio. Just go to hackberryhouseofchosun.com and take a look and a listen. I'm reading today from a book entitled The Christian in Complete Armor by William Gurnall, the English Bible scholar and pastor who died in 1679, were asking the question, why do I have to put my armor on? And here's the second reason, the requirements for a happy outcome of the war. We come now to the second argument the apostle uses to press his exhortation home, and that's in Ephesians 6.13. It is taken from the glorious victory which hovers over the head of the believer as he fights and which shall surely crown him in the end. Stated in these words, and having done all, to stand. The phrase is short, but full. Heaven is not one with good words or a a bold profession, but with having done all. Sacrifice without obedience is sacrilege. His religion is in vain, whose profession brings no letters of testimony from a holy life. The doing Christian is the one who shall stand when the boasting Christian shall fall. Such braggarts rob God of that which he values most. A great captain once smote one of his own soldiers for railing at the enemy, saying that his orders were not to rant and rave, but to fight and kill him, to cry out against the devil, To rail against him in prayer or conversation is not enough. You must take action against him and mortify him if you want to please God. Is claiming sonship to the king of heaven so small a matter that you think you can obtain it without giving a real proof of your zeal for God and hatred of sin? Not a forgetful hearer, But a doer of the work, this man, says the apostle, shall be blessed in his deed, James 1.25. Notice he does not say by his deed, but in his deed. He shall meet blessedness as he walks obediently. The hypocrite disappoints others who, seeing the leaves on his tree, expect fruit but find none. And at last he disappoints himself. He expects to reach heaven but will miss it entirely. Observe also that God's mercy to his children is so great that he gladly accepts their weak efforts to please him as long as those efforts are joined with sincerity and perseverance. When the heart is right, God accepts the works as if they were done in full obedience. This is why the saints are said to have done all. Oh, who would not serve such a God? You hear servants sometimes complain that their masters are so unreasonable that they can never please them, even when they do their best. Such a charge can never be brought against God. Only do your best and God will pardon your worst. Dave knew, excuse me, David knew the indulgence of the Lord when he said, Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. 
The heart that labors always to come nearer and nearer to full obedience to God's will shall never be put to shame. Here in the short phrase, and having done all to stand, four distinct doctrines are to be found pertaining to the following issues. The necessity of perseverance, the necessity of divine armor to persevere, the certainty of persevering and overcoming if armed, and the promised result of perseverance. First, the necessity of perseverance. Perseverance is the mark of a true soldier of Christ. Having done all includes our conflict with death. We have not done all until that pitched battle is fought. The word means to finish a business and to bring a matter to a full issue. Don't be a half-hearted Christian, but a thorough one. Not he that takes the field, but he that keeps the field. Not he that sets out, but he that holds out deserves the name of saint. There is no such thing as an honorable retreat. No such word of command in all Christ's military discipline as fall back and lay down your arms. No, your order is forward, march, from the day you take up arms until you are called off by death. Our covenant and oath demand perseverance. Soldiers used to take a military oath not to flinch from their colors, but faithfully to follow their leaders. The obligation to take such an oath lies upon every Christian. It is so essential to being a saint that they are identified by it. Psalm 50 verse 5 says, Gather my saints together, those that have made a covenant with me. We are not Christians until we have subscribed to this covenant without reservation. When we profess Christ, we enlist ourselves in his regiment and promise to live and die with him in opposition to all his enemies. Christ tells us upon what terms he will enroll us among his disciples. He said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He will not accept us until we resign ourselves freely to his disposal, that there may be no disputing his commands afterwards. And then the persistence of the enemy requires perseverance, the persistence of the enemy. The devil never retreats or declares a truce. If an enemy repeatedly assaults a city and those within cease to resist, well, you know who will win. The prophet who was sent to Bethel, did his errand well and withstood Jeroboam's temptation. But on his way home, he was drawn aside by the old prophet and at last slain by a lion. Thus many flee from one temptation, only to be vanquished by another. Many precious servants of God, not making such vigorous resistance in their last days as in their first, have fallen miserably, as we see in Solomon, Asa, and others. You know it is hard to hold anything in your hand for very long and and not have your fingers grow numb. This is also true in a spiritual sense. Therefore, we are frequently admonished to hold fast the profession of our faith. And surely, when we see our enemy always keeping watch to catch us when we fall, we will be challenged to strengthen our grip, not loosen it. And then our eternal reward is contingent upon perseverance. The saint's crown stands at the goal. He who comes to the end of the race wins it. To him that overcometh 
will I grant, says Christ. In his letter to Timothy, Paul said, I have fought a good fight. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Why henceforth? Was it not laid up before? Yes, but having persevered and come within sight of home, ready to die, he now takes surer hold of the promise. Indeed, in this sense, a gracious soul is nearer his salvation after every victory than he was before, because he approaches nearer to the end of his race, which is the time for receiving his promised salvation. Then, and not until then, the garland will be placed on his head. Secondly, the necessity of divine armor to persevere. There can be no perseverance without true grace in the heart. A soul without divine armor cannot persevere. The sanctifying grace of God's Spirit is this armor. Anyone without it will never endure to fight all the battles necessary before the victory is won. Common gifts of the Spirit, such as enlightenment, conviction, affection, may for a time help someone to appear zealous for the Lord, but the strength these afford is soon spent. John the Baptist's hearers got some light and heat by sitting under his burning ministry, but how long did it last? Jesus said, You were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. His words imbued their consciences with beautiful colors, but they were not laid in oil and therefore were soon washed off again. The foolish virgins made as great a blaze with their lamps as the wise virgins, but their lamps went out before the bridegroom appeared. The stony ground was more responsive than the other soil. The seed sprouted quickly, as if a crop should soon be ready for harvest, but a, a few nipping frosts turned its hue and the day of harvest proved a day of desperate sorrow. All these instances and many more in Scripture show that nothing short of solid grace and a principle of divine life in the soul will persevere. Free thinkers and flighty professors of faith promise themselves hopes of reaching heaven, but they will find it too long a step for their short-breathed souls uh, to attain. And number three, why the unregenerate cannot persevere. Well, first, their source of strength is fragile. The gracious soul perseveres because of the continual supply of strength it receives from Christ. Just as the arm and foot are kept alive by the vital nourishment they receive from the heart. I live, says Paul, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. That is, I live but at Christ's cost. He holds my soul and also my grace in life. Without this union, a man will waste away. He has no root to sustain him. A carcass, once it begins to rot, never recovers. The process of decay continues until it returns again to dust. No salve will reverse the process of death. But where there is life, then nature sends help to work with the salve for a cure. The difference between the Christian and the non-Christian is as great as the difference between life and death. The righteous man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked fall into mischief. Proverbs twenty-four sixteen. 
That is, in falling, the wicked fall farther and have no power to recover. When Cain sinned, see how he fell farther and farther like a stone rolling downhill, never stopping until he came to the bottom of despair. He went from envying his brother to malice, from malice to murder, from murder to impudent lying and brazen-faced boldness to God himself, and from that to despair. The scriptures promise evil men shall wax worse and worse. When a saint falls, he gets up again because he has strength to cry out to Christ, Lord, save me. That's what Peter cried when he began to sink. And at once Christ's hand was put forth. Though the Lord chided him for his unbelief, still he helped him. And then an unregenerate soul has no guarantee that he can keep the common gifts of the Spirit which he may possess at one time or another. Their gifts are impermanent. Even when his table is most sumptuously spread, he cannot show any word of promise from God that he will be provided with another meal. God gives these things to the wicked, as we might give a crust or a night's lodging to a beggar in our barn. And all that that God chooses to give, he can also choose to deny. If you are not a Christian, you may have some knowledge of the things of God, but even so, you may die without saving knowledge at last. And finally, their resolve is weak. A man engaged to the world may profess faith in Christ, but he will quickly show his true colors when forced to make a choice between Christ and Satan. When Satan bribes him with worldly treasures to abandon his profession of the Savior, he will, like Demas, show where his love lies. Or, if his lusts call him, he must go in spite of profession, conscience, God, and all. Herod feared John the Baptist, but love is stronger than fear. His love for Herodias overcame his fear of John and made him cut off not only John's head, but the hopeful buddings of his conscience as well. If the complexion of the soul is profane, it will finally show itself, though for a while there may be some religious color in a man's face from some external cause. The lack of a thorough change of heart is the root of all final apostasy. The apostate does not lose the grace he had, but only discovers he never had any. Many take up their sainthood upon a false pretense and use the credit they have gained from others' opinions of them to establish their trade among God's true saints. These false professors assume they are Christians because others suppose they are Christians. Their whole reputation is built on an outward show of religion. The fact that they have no stock of solid grace within to maintain them in their profession proves their undoing at last. Let us therefore consider upon what basis we take up our declaration of faith. Is there anything within us that is proportionate to our outward zeal? Have we laid a good foundation? Is the superstructure top-heavy, jutting too far beyond the weak foundation? The roots of a tree spread as far underground as the branches do above, and so does true grace. We'll do point number four next time. It's called the certainty of persevering if armed. We need our armor.
Well, this is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.